Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church. In Revelation 1 verse 7, we read that every eye will see Jesus coming with the clouds. And today we look at what this really means and what the whole of Scripture has to say about this statement. As usual, the answer is quite a bit more powerful than first meets the eye. Join us as we continue our expository study in the book of Revelation. Here is Pastor Alex. So let's pick up in Revelation 1 verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. Uh, So in verse 7, we're going to look at every eye will see him, which is also the title of our study. Even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. We're going to open this up. And to open up our understanding on this phrase, every eye will see him, what I'd like to do as kind of the backdrop and help kind of set at least the foundation for us understanding this phrase, I do want to use for reference the mock trial that Jesus had before the Sanhedrin, you know, leading up to him being crucified. And I want to read Matthew 26, verse 63, and then cross-reference that with Mark 14, 61. Here's, here's that account. So Jesus is here is before this mock trial. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And let me read the cross-reference of Mark fourteen sixty-one of the same account. But he kept silent and did not answer. And again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. I want to call our attention to what Jesus said to them. He says, you will see. You shall see. You will see? You shall see? Let me ask you a question. Who's you? Remember, we have to reconcile that with every eye will see him. And remember one of our rules of engagement, and this is number four, you shall interpret Scripture with a literal fulfillment. Let me say that again. What I've been doing this whole time, and I'm going to continue to do until we get to the very end, is tell you exactly what the Scripture says. If it doesn't mean what it says, if there isn't a literal fulfillment, then how can we trust it? We have to interpret Scripture with a literal fulfillment. When it comes to prophecy... Need I say, let's look at our Lord, the prophecies concerning him in the Old Testament. I haven't counted, but it's been said there's over 300 prophecies or whatever. Were those prophecies spiritual, figurative, or literal? Every one of them. Was he born of a virgin? Was he betrayed for, was that, 30 pieces of silver? Was he born in Bethlehem? Was he a son of David? You know, the one who he shared breath with, betray him? Literal fulfillment. The book of Revelation and and Scripture is going to be literally fulfilled. That's what I've been doing this whole time. 
So every eye will see him means every eye will see him. But wait a minute. Okay, that can mean a couple of things, right? It could mean every eye who is alive at that time will see him. That's where I was naturally. Or it can be everyone. Now, remember our other rule of engagement, number two, thou shall not add or take away from Scripture. When Jesus was before the Sanhedrin and he was interrogated by the high priest, Jesus declared to them, he is the Son of God. And to prove this, Jesus said they, the Sanhedrin before him, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Here's a truth from this statement. The high priest that year was Caiaphas. Caiaphas and the rest of the Sanhedrin, that would include the scribes, the elders, and the chief priests who condemned Jesus. Jesus said, you will see with your own eyes. Jesus sitting on the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, I want to ask you a question. In order for this to come to fruition, what must happen? In order for Caiaphas, the rest of the Sanhedrin that Jesus was speaking to, he's saying, you will see with your own eyes the Son of Man coming with power and great glory, sitting on the right hand of power. Remember, sitting on the right hand doesn't mean he's literally sitting. It means he is in that office presiding right, or ruling in the, in the right hand of power or the right hand of his Father who is all authority and given it to his Son. Let me ask you, no, use your, use your deduction here. Jesus said, Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin will see the Son of Man coming. How can that be? Thank you. They're, they must be resurrected. Now, that's a spoiler. Now, here we go. Catch this, guys. I'm getting goosebumps. There's going to be a resurrection to witness the return of Jesus. Let me say that again. When Jesus comes with the clouds, with power and great glory, a resurrection is going to happen. Does Revelation corroborate this? Oh, you bet it does. You bet it does. After the seventh trumpet is blown, John sees in his vision two reapers. And I want to pick it up in Revelation 14, beginning in verse 14. And this is the seventh trumpet. This is the seventh trumpet is blown. And here's what John saw, the first reaper. Then I looked and behold, a white cloud. Hmm, cloud. He is coming with the cloud, white cloud. And sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man. Do I need to tell you who this is? Having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Then he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was reaped. The Son of Man, I'm just going to tell you right now, He's the first reaper here. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is reaping here. And we're going to touch on this more in our future study, but I want to get to the second reaper. Remember, this is still after the seventh trumpet is blown. Let's pick it up in verse 17. And another angel, not the Son of Man, came out of the temple which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle, 
Then another angel, the one who has power over fire, came out from the altar and he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood came out from the winepress up to the horses' bridles for a distance of 200 miles. So in Revelation 14, at the blowing of the seventh trumpet, we have two reapers. The Son of Man with the golden crown on his head, sitting on a white cloud with a sharp sickle, and reaped the earth because it was ripe. We're not going to touch that right now. And we have another angel who came out of the temple in heaven, who also had a sharp sickle, gathered clusters, and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And this occurred outside the city. This is the city of Jerusalem. Blood filled the streets. You know horses' bridle? What they put in their whatever mouth or whatever? Horses are about close to five feet, let's say. Imagine blood five feet high spanning 200 miles. That's a lot of people, folks. Here's the truth. Here's a spoiler. You ready? Resurrections will occur after the seventh trumpet is blown. Let me say it again. Resurrections will occur after the seventh trumpet is blown. Here, I'm going to tell you the answer. What resurrection is that? It's a mass resurrection unto life and judgment. And I want to read John 5 and what Jesus said there. We'll pick it up in verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Now I want to pause here. Here's another thing where I got corrected. I thought these resurrections were separate. That there was a resurrection of the righteous, basically, and the resurrection of the unrighteous. Here, it says, all the tombs will hear his voice. Now, should I even ask this question? All who are in the tomb are who? All who are in the tomb. Does that exclude anybody? That's everybody. All means all. Now, after the seventh trumpet is blown, and the sickle, remember there's two reapers, the earth is right. There's two reapings. The Son of Man reaping and the other angel reaping. This is at the same time. All who have died from the time of Adam to the time of that reaping who are in the tombs will rise. Got that? Keep that in the back of your mind as we continue in our studies. This resurrection unto life and unto judgment at the seventh trumpet, everyone who is in the tombs at that time, from Adam to the blowing of that trumpet, will rise. 
Got it? So, Daniel, the Old Testament saints, even going all the way back to the time of Adam and the beginning of time, you have some New Testament folks up in there who have died. All who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Jesus will come with the clouds when the seventh trumpet is blown. Did you get that? When is Jesus coming? After the seventh trumpet is blown. It is also called the great trumpet or the last trumpet. So when John says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him means exactly what it says. So now with that understanding, it should be easier for us to understand this phrase, even those who pierced him. Who's responsible? And don't peek, okay? Who's responsible for piercing, killing Jesus? Who's responsible? Jews? Romans? Sanhedrin, you said? All the above? (laughs) Rejected him? Okay, let's see. Let's have Peter answer this for us, shall we? Remember, we're using Scripture or Scripture this whole time. In the Peter's great sermon during Pentecost, we'll pick it up in Acts 2.22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God, the Father, with miracles and wonders and signs which God, the Father, performed through him, the Son, in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, this man, Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, the Father, you, men of Israel, nailed to a cross, By the hands of godless men, the Romans, and put him to death. But God the Father raised him, the Son, up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for the Son of God to be held in its power. So there are several parties involved in piercing Jesus. The people of Israel, you can say, are chiefly responsible or most responsible, at least from, from human agents, for killing Jesus. But it doesn't end there. Pilate was responsible for condemning him, knowing him to be an innocent man. The Roman guards were responsible for beating, scourging, and nailing him, an innocent man, to the cross and even pierced his side to ensure that he was dead. And we know that the Father planned and allowed all this. So, what does even those who pierced him mean? It means literally those who pierced him. Which means those involved in crucifying Jesus too will see with their own eyes the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and great glory. Isn't this? We just learned this from every eye will see, and we said there's going to be a mass resurrection after the seventh trumpet is blown. This tells you right here, even those who pierced them are going to be part of that mass, resur- mass resurrection because even those who pierced them is going to see him coming on the power, the right hand of God, you know, with power and great glory, and coming on the clouds. Pontius Pilate, the men of Israel, and the Romans in Jesus' day, will be resurrected and part of the group characterized by doing those doing evil deeds and will be part of the resurrection of judgment. 
They will be part of those who are in the tomb or graves at that time after the seventh trumpet is blown and at the reaping who will be raised. And they were the ones spoken of in John 5, 20 and 29. Again, that's after the seventh trumpet is blown. So with this in mind, let's look at a familiar passage to us all. When Jesus laments over Jerusalem. I mean, let's pick it up. Matthew 23, verse 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together away a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, the people of Israel, at that day, from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you, in immediate context, is the men of Israel, the same men that Jesus addressed at his great sermon at Pentecost. These, along with the others who do evil deeds, will see Jesus with their own eyes and exclaim, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And isn't this and this corroborate what Apostle Paul proclaimed in Philippians chapter 2, the very popular passage for us. We'll pick it up in verse 9. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name, the Anoma, which is above every name, Anoma, so that at the Anoma of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord Curios to the glory of God the Father. When Paul penned Philippians, the resurrection hasn't happened yet. They were under the earth. But those who are under the earth, who will be raised, will see Jesus coming with the clouds, and they too will bow their knee and confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when John says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, again, it means exactly what it says. The men of Israel in Jesus' day who refused to repent and believe and instead plotted for his death, Pilate, the Romans who carried out the crucifixion, will be raised to experience God's wrath as they see Jesus coming on the clouds with power and great glory. All the tribes of the earth will mourn. Do I need to ask what this means? It means all the tribes of the earth will mourn. But let's, let's examine this a little further anyhow. Tribes is fule, and it can also mean clan. Tribe or clan means the same thing. And the context tells us if it's referring to, let's say, the tribes of Israel or one of the tribes or of the earth. And I want to just cross-reference here as an example, uh, Matthew 19. Uh, we'll look at verse 28. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you shall also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes, or fule, of Israel. So tribes there is associated with Israel. But in our very verse, and also consistent with Matthew 24, 
It says, and then the sign, of, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes, the fule of the earth, will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with great power and glory. So here's what I want to present before you. When it says all the tribes of the earth will mourn, when you look at tribe or fule, fuli, I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but all the tribes, generally speaking, it does refer to the tribes of Israel, if you look at it. But because it does say earth, the tribes of the earth will mourn, then that steers me in another direction and says, no, it's all the tribes, all the clans, all the nations, peoples, and tongues will mourn. Because otherwise, if if it had an Israel designation or something that uh, led me that way, then I would think it's more exclusive or um, exclusive to them but really, because it says all the tribes of the earth will mourn, it's Israel and Gentile nations. They're going to mourn. Kapto. And Kapto is a very intense time of mourning or lament. So let me, let me uh, some of us, I don't, know, have, uh, maybe, I don't know if any of you have experienced like extreme mourning, maybe the loss of the loved one, that it, I mean, it hurt, it like pierced your heart that you probably can't, breathe and want to die um, there's this mourning like it's just the the most serious mourning that we crying or wailing that we can do well that's the greek here it's the it's an intense time of mourning which is all the tribes of the earth will mourn it also is associated with when someone beats their breasts they're like just going crazy want to kill themselves wailing and crying that's what it means when it says all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And the Bible, time and time again, warns that such a day is coming. And there's a lot of different descriptions of it, but here's kind of a short list. When you see the day of the Lord, it's associated oftentimes with judgment, the great day, the great and awesome day of the Lord, or the day of the Lord's wrath. And I'll read some Old Testament passages just to kind of show you when it says all the tribes of the earth will mourn, this has been worn throughout the Old Testament. Joel has a lot. Let me read some of them. Alas for the day, uh, Joel 1.15. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. Joel 2.11. The Lord utters His voice before His army. Surely His camp is very great, for strong is He who carries out His word. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome. And who can endure it? Joel 2.13.31. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And a little side note here. I didn't want to include this because I think we already have a lot of material. There are signs that happen before the day of the Lord. And then there's going to be signs that happen on the day of the Lord. Okay? I'm going to give you, I'll make it easy for you. And this took hours for me to get here. But let me just give you the answer. The sun becoming dark and the moon blood red are signs before the day of the Lord. Before that great and awesome day. On the day of the Lord, the lights will go out, literally. The sun will not give its light, the moon, 
the stars, that are, are the stars, the solar system, will not light. And if you want to know for comparative purposes, did that ever happen? Yes. Remember the, was it, I believe it was the ninth plague of Egypt of darkness and the Egyptians could not see. But there was land, there was light in the land of Goshen where the Is- Israel were, was. At that time, God turned off all the lights of the solar system. The constellations will not give its light. The sun will not give its light. The moon that radiates the light from the sun will not give its light. And I want to give you a little clue here. And I don't know if I wrote this down here. But when Jesus, remember he, he's accompanied with clouds, the clouds is going to cover the sun and the solar system. That's a pretty remarkable amount of cloud. But that happens on the day of the Lord. The seventh trumpet. That is when that happens. So the moon blood red is before that and the moon becoming without giving its light as rest of the, the rest of the solar systems happens on the day of the Lord. But let's continue on. Uh, Joel 3 Verses 14 and 15. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near the valley of decision. The sun and, mar- the sun and moon grow dark and the stars lose their brightness. Uh, we'll also look at Zephaniah. Remember, I'm trying to show here the Bible in the Old Testament. You can see in the New Testament too, especially in the Old, is warning the day of the Lord is coming. And it's a day of destruction, a day of gloom, a day of darkness, a day of wrath. It's coming. Zephaniah warns us of that. We'll uh, look at 1, verses 14 through 18. Near is the great day of the Lord, near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord. In it the warrior cries out bitterly. A day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds. Remember, I told you, the clouds is going to literally cover our solar system and shut the lights out and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corners, I will bring distress, this is God speaking, on men, so that they will walk like the blind. There's no lights, remember. Because they have sinned against the Lord, and their blood will be poured out like dust, and their flesh like dung. Goes on to say, neither their silver nor their gold. And as we'll see when we study the book of Revelation, there's going to be some riches. There's going to be some prosperity. And even James warns about the riches that they rot like moth. Oh, by the way, I've been going through the New Testament again. If you don't have, you need eschatology to even understand the Bible. At first I said it wasn't essential. Well, it's essential to understand his plan because it has to have a landing point. And when you start to read with what we're learning, and when you see Scripture verses, I trust as maybe, you know, it'll be the same for you as it was for me. You're not going to look at it the same. But let's go on and say, pick it up again, verse 18. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath, and all the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy, for he will make a complete end, indeed a terrifying one, of all the inhabitants of the earth. And I'm going to tell you here, that's associated also with the seven bowls of wrath judgments. That's in store towards the very end. And we're going to look at one more. Obadiah 1, verse 15. For the day of the Lord 
draws near on all the nations, and this includes all the tribes, as you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. Now, let's pause here. Does that sound a little familiar? What comes to mind? He says, your dealings will return on your own head. Does any scripture come to your mind? Did someone ask for their blood, for Jesus' blood, to be on their own head? Uh, Let's look at Matthew 24. Uh, Matthew 27, and we'll pick it up in verse 24. When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather starting, a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people said, His blood shall be on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas for them, but after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Here's the truth. The time will come when not only the men of Israel will look on him on whom they have pierced, but the time will come when God will take vengeance on them and return their dealings on their own head. So, let me say this another way. Like, let's say the men of Israel who rejected Messiah and died in unbelief, God will take vengeance on them. But they and anyone else, if they repent, cry out, ask for mercy and forgiveness, he is ready and willing to forgive them. But for those, especially here, let's say the men of Israel, if they don't, they are storing up for themselves wrath in the day of judgment. And this is part of the prophecy where God will take vengeance and return their own dealings on their own head. So all this is to say, the pro- uh, this prophecy or the prophecy we just covered is a time when all nations and tribes of the earth, Israel and Gentiles, resurrected and non-resurrected, okay, see, I don't want to get too confusing. When that seventh trumpet is blown, all who are in the tombs at that time who died from Adam up to that point, who hasn't already been raised, so I kind of give you a little hint on, there was other people who were raised even before that, but there's going to be people who are alive that didn't have to get raised. They were alive at that time. So there's going to be the resurrected and the non-resurrected. They're all going to mourn Kapto in a very intense time of mourning and lament, including them striking or beating one's breasts, wailing and crying. And this is precisely what the Bible, time and time again, warns us that is in store in the future. I know we like to hear God is a God of love, and he is. He's a God of mercy and forgiveness and compassion. He is. He's a God of long-suffering. He is. He's also a vengeful God. He is also a God who will pay retribution to those who refuse to repent and believe in the Son. For those who refuse to believe in the Son of God, the Bible is warning you That's the day of the Lord that's in store for you, the great day, the great and awesome day of the Lord. The day of the Lord's wrath will apply to you up to and including the seven bold judgments in the book of Revelation. So now let's let's start to kind of close this now. And I mentioned this in our previous study. 
that Jesus coming with the clouds, it means different things for different groups. So also, when it says every eye will see him, it also means different things to those different groups. So let me say this way. When Jesus is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, it means something different for believers and it means something different for unbelievers. It means something different for the righteous and it means something different for the unrighteous. So here I want to do something a little bit unique that I haven't done before. I've done the Katroha Amplified Translation before, but for this one, I want to do it for the two different groups. This is what, what, what Revelation 1-7, what the prophecy is and warns for unbelievers, and then what Revelation 1-7 means and, and applies to believers. You guys ready? Here's what, taking all of Scripture, now of course this, this can be the whole book, right? You can, you, can, you can write this as long as you can, but I try to keep it somewhat consolidated. Here's what Revelation 1-7 says to the unbelieving. So for those who have died in unbelief, for those who remain in unbelief right now and will die in unbelief, and those in the future who haven't been born yet who don't believe and die in unbelief, Here's what revelation means to you. Behold, the Son of Man is coming with the clouds with great power and glory. And after the great seventh trumpet is blown, those who have died from Adam to that very day will be raised. Those who do not repent and place their faith in the Son of God for the forgiveness of their sins, but instead practice evil deeds and unrighteousness will be raised to a resurrection of judgment. They, along with Caiaphas, the scribes, the elders, the chief priests, the men of Israel, Pilate, who condemned Jesus to death, the Roman guards who mocked, scourged, crucified, and pierced an innocent man, will all see Jesus coming with the clouds with their very own eyes. These and the rest of the tribes of the earth will experience great trouble and distress experience an intense time of mourning and lament, beating one's breast, wailing and crying over him in that great and awesome day of the Lord comes. The men of Israel of Jesus' day will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and they along with all who are raised will bow their knees and proclaim Jesus' as Lord to the glory of God the Father. Behold, Jesus is coming with the clouds to bring punishment, wrath, and eternal judgment for you, so it is to be. Amen. Wait, isn't this what Paul's gospel declared? I'm telling you, when I, now when I read the Scriptures and I read the warnings with this understanding and in, in, in light in mind, means something different. Now let me read probably a familiar passage, but maybe you didn't know what to do with it because we didn't have what we learned today. Let me read what... Paul's gospel declares. We'll pick it up in Romans 2, verse 1, and he's talking to the Jews here. He goes, Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in what you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you, judge, for you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man? when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? 
Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But here's where it starts to land on the day of the Lord. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you, who Paul is talking to, the Jews who were the enemies of the gospel, they're included because you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each person according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, there's the resurrection of, to life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, wrath and indignation is in store for you. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul. Catch that? Every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Now with what we've learned today, Paul is saying, he's looking at that day when the resurrection happens, that second angel that reaped the earth after the seventh trumpet is blown unto a resurrection of judgment. That includes these stubborn and unrepentant Jews. He's saying you're storing up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath. They will be raised to experience the wrath that God is going to pour out on the earth. Now, I don't know what you guys thought thought maybe someone died, and when they die, and let's say they die in unbelief, they go to hell or Hades as a holding place, and then maybe you thought, okay, at the great white throne judgment or some judgment, they stand up and are judged and then thrown into hell. If only that it were that, that was it. No. They will be raised, and they will experience God's wrath in its fullest measure. Remember, the blood went up five feet high, so they bled, and it covered 200 miles outside of the city of Jerusalem. So the gospel is a good news for those who believe, but it's bad news for those who refuse to believe. So that's what Revelation 1-7 and Paul's gospel affirms, and all of Scripture affirms, is in store for the unrighteous. Now, are you ready for the believing? This is what 1-7 means for us, the, us, the believers. Here's what 1-7 means to us. Behold, the Son of Man is coming with the clouds with great power and glory. And after the great seventh trumpet is blown, those who have died from Adam to that very day will be raised. Those who repented of their sins and placed their faith in the Son of God for forgiveness of their sins will be raised to a resurrection of eternal life. Those who have died in faith will be raised and glorified to meet the Lord in the clouds in the air. And those living in faith who remain at His coming will see Jesus coming with the clouds and will not die, but instead will be changed in the twinkling of an eye and caught up together with the redeemed to meet the Lord in the air and so that we will always be with the Lord. These and the rest of the saints will escape the great trouble and distress and will not experience an intense time of mourning and lament. 
We will not among we will not be among men who beat one's breast, nor will we wail, nor will we cry, nor will we fear that great and awesome day that the Lord comes. The saints will exclaim, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they, along with all the glorified saints, will bow their knees and proclaim Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Behold, Jesus is coming with the clouds to complete the work he began in us, to bring us to salvation and reward us with eternal life and a kingdom. So it is to be. Amen. That's exactly what Paul's gospel declares. Remember he said to the unbelievers, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation. They're going to see him. Remember the revelation. Every eye will see him. It literally means every eye, every person who's existed up to that point in time is going to see him. This is the great revelation. Unveiling of Jesus Christ. In Paul's gospel he says, you know, for those who are stubborn and unrepentant at the revelation of Jesus Christ, they will experience righteous judgment of God and God will render to each person according to his deeds. But for us, for our deeds, and our deeds is really living in faith. Our, our, our deeds is really confessing our sins and repenting and trusting in Christ alone for, this, for the forgiveness of our sins to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality when that day comes, we will receive eternal life. But then, also when you, when you skip forward to verse 10, for those of us who do good to the Jew first or also to the Greek, we will receive glory and honor and peace. For there is no partiality with God. So ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus comes with the clouds with great power and glory, Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him at the great revelation and unveiling of Jesus Christ, the Lord of all creation to all who have ever existed at that time. And that great revelation will be a blessing to believers in a day of wrath and judgment for unbelievers. Let me ask you, will you ever look at, behold, he is coming with the clouds? Different now? I do. Thank you for listening today to Truth Matters Church, a powerful and sobering reminder from the book of Revelation of what awaits every human being at Christ's return. Every person ever born will witness Christ's glorious coming to earth. And for believers, this is going to be a day of great joy and celebration. However, for the unsaved, a day of inescapable judgment and wrath. Now, if you're unsure where you would stand on that day, we encourage you to take this very moment that the Lord has given you to pray for forgiveness, to ask Him for mercy, for the salvation of your soul, and for the help to repent of your sins. Remember, today is the day of salvation. If this message has blessed you, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member, and please connect with us for even more biblical teaching at truthmatterschurch.org contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church.